The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. So dramatic, right? Anyway, good morning. Um, I actually had some orange braces put in. You know, you get to pick the colors if you've had braces before. I picked orange and I realized it just makes my teeth look super yellow. So you're welcome for that. Um, Anyways, I know now I'm wildly insecure about it, but that's all right. Hey, I want to jump in today. We're going to be in Mark 8, but before we get there, I actually want to stop and pray. Um, There's just a few church family members um, that we care deeply about that are going through a lot, um, in particular, some real severe health problems that I just want to pray for. So we believe God is a miracle working God. Amen. Okay. So three of us do, the rest of us can figure out eventually. Um, No, honestly, we believe God works miracles. Amen. We believe he says we should ask. And so that's what we're going to do. So would you pray with me? Is that okay? Father, today we pray, we love and care about this church family. And God, there are different individuals within our church family that are going through a lot. Things are very dire. Things are very difficult. And we ask for supernatural miracles. We pray that even in the 11th hour, as we've heard stories, not only in scripture, but even testimonies of the last few years of individuals that were at the point of their death or at the point of something severe happening and something changed. And that's our prayer again, that Father, you would cause different functions and individuals physically to to begin to get better better to improve lung functions and, 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 and issues with, with brain and tumor and stuff like that, that, that would shrink, that God, we would see miracles happen. We pray for your grace to pour over them, for your love and your healing touch. God, we thank you that you say bring these things to you, that we don't heal, but we thank you that you do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying along with us. And again, if that's something that you maybe have a prayer list, like I try to keep all the time, um, just write that down as something to continue to pray for. Um, We're going to be, like I said, in in, um, uh, Mark chapter 8. And uh, we'll get to that here in a little bit. We're actually going to take a look at a few different places in Mark as we're trying to navigate this entire gospel in this series up next, Hope. Um, Years ago, I was in in a church play and we were doing a dress rehearsal as we were getting towards actual kind of performances. And we were taking a break. And one of the gals that was taking a break was sitting about five rows back over in this area over here. And her husband comes down the aisle and sees her and um, wants to greet her. So he kind of walks up behind her, sneaks up a little bit behind her, puts his arms around her and gives her a big hug and, and puts his hands where only his husband should put his hands. And um, it wasn't his wife. And um, so those are the kind of moments where... <laughs> It's pretty awkward, and um, he was so sure that it was her that he did that, and clearly it's a bad idea. He was completely wrong. And I would imagine, maybe not in the same way, but I would imagine that we've all been there in one way or another. Maybe it's that you park your car in a parking garage and you swear that it's over here and it's on that level and you end up going to that place, but your car was actually over here on a whole different level. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, a bunch of us have. Um, We were at Disney World last week. And um, we parked our car in the parking lot uh, out there, if you've ever done that. And we were using our car alarm to try to find where our car was. <laughs> I don't know where we're at. We were doing like laps and stuff. Anyway, finally found it and got home. So praise God. Um, but h- how about this one? You ever been waving at somebody and walking towards them and then realize it's not them? Isn't that a fun one? You just feel amazing, right? Then like, oh, hey, you, you ever do the, like keep walking past them like it's someone else <laughs> just to play it off? Yeah, I know, me either. Um, how about, how about this? Um, I actually watched somebody just recently at Starbucks do this. They grabbed someone else's drink, assuming it was theirs, walked out. And then the person's like, I think that was my drink. Um, so I, I witnessed that one 
just recently, or if you've ever decided you're gonna meet somebody at a restaurant and went to that restaurant and realized it was the wrong restaurant. Anybody? Any, okay, so, and, and so there, there's some that are kind of silly uh, or funny most of the time, but you, have you ever been wrong when it mattered to a greater degree? Like maybe you were needing to get a good grade on a final, and so you studied really hard, and you read a question, and you answered the essay question in detail, only to realize you read it wrong and failed the final and things weren't so good. Like it's a little more serious when something like that happens, or um, ask somebody out because you were positive that they really, really liked you, but you misunderstood all the signals and felt totally humiliated when they rejected you. Um, or of course, here's a, a fun one. Purchase a gift you knew your spouse would love because you knew they were totally into that thing and they didn't like it at all. And you were puzzled only to realize later it was a different romantic interest from the past that liked that thing. And I've never done that. I'm sure you have, but anyway. Um, finally, I want to go a little deeper down the rabbit hole in this conversation. What about this? What about the fact that as you live your years, what happens is you and I, we develop a worldview. We develop a belief system, but there comes a point where there's certain moments where that belief system is challenged. And I bring it up because I've said to you before, I didn't grow up in church world. I gave my life to Christ at 16 and a half. So it was a long time ago now, but I grew up for the first 16 and a half years of my life, believing all kinds of things and heading a certain trajectory in my life, only to realize once my life intersected with Christ, as I've studied scripture and been a follower of Jesus for, for gosh, 29 years now, there have been all kinds of moments where I'm challenged with what I believe based on wanting to be a reader and studier and person who lives by scripture. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, not only being a reader of scripture, but allowing scripture to read me. And I bring it up because there's a certain tension I wanna live in today that the gospel of Mark is gonna address and it has everything to do with the religious leaders. We'll get to Mark 8 here in a bit, but I'm gonna take you on kind of a journey today throughout the whole gospel of Mark. It's a total of 16 chapters. But as you get into chapter two, what you see is the beginning of Jesus' relationship with what we would call religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, even chief priests and elders within the nation of Israel. And in chapter two, it starts right at, right away with them grumbling because Jesus sees a guy that can't walk and, and he talks about forgiving his sins and they kind of perk up like, wait a minute, in our tradition, only God forgives sins. And Jesus is like, that's right. And I forgive this guy. And there's something going on here with my connection to the father. That's a big deal. And by the way, let me prove to you that it's a big deal. Why don't you go ahead and get up and walk? And this guy gets up and walks and they all kind of marvel, but that's the beginning of the religious leadership beginning to perk up at what is this, what's going on? And we're not digging it a whole lot. As that chapter, again, we're only in Mark two, as that chapter continues, the Pharisees get upset that Jesus is eating with a bunch of riffraff. And I talked about that a few weeks ago, that very text, we went through it in detail. But, but they were frustrated because they expected that if he was some sort of rabbi, if he was some sort of religious teacher, you don't hang out with riffraff, you don't do that. And yet Jesus had something intentional to say about the father's heart for broken people, messy people. And so I love that idea. It goes on and this is still chapter two at the very end of the chapter, the disciples are walking along and they're at the edge of a grain field where they run their hands along the stalks of grain and wheat comes off and they begin to eat it like a snack. And, the, and the, again, the teachers of the law and Pharisees get angry because they're picking wheat on the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath and they're getting more and more frustrated by what's happening. 
As you get to Mark 3, the next chapter, already in verse 2, it says this. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. There was an issue again going on. It was the Sabbath day. And according to their tradition, healing shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. Let me try to explain a little bit of why. You go, well, what's wrong with healing on the Sabbath? They felt like the idea of healing was doctor's work and that's work on the Sabbath to try to help someone get better. Therefore, you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath because you're doing work on the Sabbath and that's not okay. That was their interpretation. And yet Jesus heals the man that very day and they're becoming more and more angry, which already by Mark 3, verse 6, it specifically says they wanted now to have Jesus killed. As Mark 3 continues, Jesus is performing miracles and they have this conversation with themselves saying, he's doing this, he's performing miracles by evil, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's casting out demons. And that's when Jesus said, how in the world can a kingdom divided against itself stand? It doesn't work that way. And you go back to the idea of Beelzebub and he's talking about this idea of spiritual wickedness and he's using some sort of wicked incantation in order to perform miracles. And Jesus is like, you guys are crazy. You're missing it by a million miles. Later on, the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign and that's when Jesus warns the disciples to watch out for the poisonous teaching of the Pharisees. In fact, by the time you get to Mark chapter 11, the religious crowd is giving Jesus the full court press. At the end of Mark chapter 11, the religious leaders challenge his authority. And then in the entirety of Mark chapter 12, you're taking notes, just write down Mark 12. The entire chapter of Mark 12 is Jesus encounters with the religious leadership. It starts with Jesus telling a parable about the wicked tenants. He's referring to them, the religious leaders. And then the religious leadership is gonna challenge him with a bunch of questions that are meant to trap him. He talks about, you know, should we pay taxes? They ask him about, the resurrection at the end of things. They ask him about the greatest commandment and then Jesus asks them a question that they can't answer and they're dumbfounded. And there comes a point in the gospels where it says they dared not ask him any more questions. But then at the end of Mark 12, it says Jesus warns specifically against the religious leaders. By Mark 14, it says not only had they grumbled about having him you know, taken away and killed, but now they're actually hatching a plot and they figured out who they're gonna choose. What happens in Mark 14 is that the Passover was coming, coming near by date on the calendar and people were gathering from all over the place to observe the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. And it says that they specifically were scheming to arrest Jesus and have him killed. The very next text is this this place where Jesus is uh, in, in, a, in a gathering with a bunch of people and a woman comes in and breaks open an expensive jar of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and she's weeping and she's broken about her sin and she's so grateful that through some encounter she's realized the, the love of the heavenly father through Jesus. So she comes in and breaks open this expensive jar of perfume, pours it on his feet. And she's like wiping her feet, his feet with her hair. And she's weeping. And Judas is there in the background. And his thought is why in the world didn't that get sold and give all that money to the poor? But what you have to understand is that was not Judas motive. 
Judas had a reputation for, for pilfering money out of the, the, the money that the disciples would get at different times along the road. Hey, let's, let's make sure you get the food you need here. We, we have a little offering for you, Jesus. We have some money for your guys to travel. And, and Judas would actually steal money from it. So that was not his heart to give it to the poor. He was hoping to get some sort of, you know, kind of windfall of cash there somehow. And that was what was going on. The very next moment after he gets angry about the perfume, he turns on Jesus and goes to the religious leaders and agrees to betray Jesus. We're going to get into the, the, the crucifixion and what's going on um, with, with you know, Israel and Rome and, and, and all this stuff in the next few weeks. But, but why do I bring all of this up? Why have we gone down this whole road with the religious leaders? And it's simply to ask you a question. Does it puzzle anyone else how those who should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah didn't? Have you ever thought about how if anybody should have known that, that, that the Messiah was here because of what was going on with Jesus, it should have been the religious crowd that were studiers of the Old Testament scriptures that should have known in and out the, the Levitical laws and how to obey and do all of these things so that when the Messiah would come, they would go, this is the guy, this is him, this is the Messiah. And yet not only did they not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they decided they needed to have him killed. Has anybody ever found themselves concerned about how they missed it by a million miles? I would hope so. If you've been a reader or study of scripture for any length of time, my hope would be that there's something in all of us that goes, how does that happen? And yet what I wanna do is help us all understand that yes, they had a problem. What was their problem simply stated, and this is putting it probably over simply, they expected the Messiah to look a certain way, to do certain things, to hang around certain people, to carry himself as a, as a leader, to redeem Israel from Roman occupation. Because as I've said before, you know, Israel was not their own free nation. They were under Roman occupation within the Roman empire. That's why in the next few weeks, when we talk about Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus goes from Herod to Pontius Pilate and Rome and Israel, and they had this kind of political situation happening that was very tense. And so Israel had to get permission to perform this crucifixion. All this stuff goes on. That's why. But like I said, it, it goes back to they expected the Messiah to come and redeem them. They expected the Messiah to be a conquering king. They expected the Messiah to act a certain way and to do certain things. But the truth is this, and this is where I want us all to, to process for a moment. The truth is this, their problem is also my problem. Their problem is our problem. If you're in this room and, and, and you hear what I'm saying, my hope is it resonates. If you're online, my hope is that it resonates. But what I want you to do for a moment is repeat after me. Just say, their problem, their problem. is also my problem. Okay, now say it with conviction, their problem is also my problem. None of us is excused from this. I don't stand up here pointing at you saying their problem is your problem. I would say their problem is my problem. And what is my problem? My problem is I wanna do, I want Jesus to do what I understand. I want Jesus to work the way I expect. I want Jesus to act the way I would expect. I want Jesus to have the same worldview that I have. And so when I read scripture, when I see what happens, I expect Jesus to work in a certain way that I believe. And when it doesn't match up, I don't like it. And I reject it. 
And I'm just being brutally honest. A few weeks ago, I talked about that when our worldview and scripture collide, something's gotta give and it isn't scripture. So you say, well, isn't this the same message? In context from a few weeks ago, I was trying to focus on those that were newer to Christ and reading scripture and realizing there's a different way to live. What I'm trying to say today is for some of us that have been in this thing for five years or 10 or 15 or 20, or for me, like I said, for 29 years now, the danger is this. I think I already know a lot. I think I already understand a lot. I think my life's already pretty well matched up to Jesus and everything's good. The problem is I'm wrong. And there's something about what goes on in the human heart where if we're really honest, we expect Jesus to do those things we want or to act a way that we sort of perceive. We expect the Holy Spirit to meet us right where we're at and and, and work in ways that we think that he should. And yet it doesn't always work that way. How many of us have found ourselves surprised as we look back to go, I didn't know that God was working, but I look back and see how God was working. I love what that beautiful worship leader said earlier. Man, she's gorgeous. And <laughs> like to date her sometime. In fact, I think I'm gonna go to a Mariners game with her on Tuesday. <clears throat> she's my wife in case you're like, what? Okay, so. But when I think back and, and it, it brought me to that point of reflection just like it should have you, but um, I've, I've shared before and I'll keep this relatively brief in May of 92, I had an encounter with Christ that changed my life immediately. Like I realized in that moment, I can't explain it, but that Jesus was very real and I surrendered my life. That changed a lot of things about my life from that day forward. And I've said before, and I say it kind of flippantly, I thought I'd maybe go down to LA and become an actor or whatever. And I just felt this passion of like, man, if Jesus is who he says he is, then I want people to know that more than I want to sort of entertain people, whether I ever would have made it or not, who in the world knows. But um, for me, it was very real. Another thing that happened within a week of of that moment that I realized who Jesus was, and it was here within this church back in 92, um, I sat down with the youth pastor who was also new. And you know what he said to me? He literally got barely brand new Christian, seven days, I think it was less than seven days. He points at me and goes, you're gonna make a great youth pastor someday. I'm like, this guy's nuts. And on my 25th birthday, I became the youth pastor in this church and his office where he told me that became my office. And I think about that and I go, man, God, see, that's another stone of remembrance. I know this sounds a little cheesy, but I fell in love with Heather long before she fell in love with me. You're like, no kidding. That's, that's mean. Come on. I know you're thinking it. That's mean. But like, I, and maybe I fell in love too easy, but man, like I fell head over heels with her. I met her three rows back in this room way back when. Okay. This is olden days. Covered wagon out there and all that stuff. But I know for some of you, it's like worse than that. Okay. Um, I met her in this room and, and I never forget the first day that we met. And she literally comes up and goes, hi, my name's Heather. And I'm going to you know, ask you my name until you remember it. And I never forgot it from that day forward. Um, well, I felt pretty hard for her and, and we had a kind of a bumpy dating relationship. She moved away because she hated me. Um, no, that's not why. But we dated long distance from Chicago here, Chicago. Um, it was rough, but I just, in my heart, I was like, man, I just believe that maybe she's going to be my wife someday, but I don't know. She doesn't seem to want me. And I was pretty ripped up and this is pitiful. I shouldn't even go here. Why am I so... <laughs> And um, of course, I mean, it was seven years of, of craziness, but, but we can look back and go, yeah, we got married. And I remember being so afraid to get married 
um, because I just didn't want to be a bad husband. And I was concerned about like, man, this marriage is already hard. And, and she reminded me of some things about my faith and what I believe about God. And then we got married and we've had a great marriage. It doesn't mean it doesn't have bumps, but it's so cool to look back and see how God is faithful. Scared to death to have kids. And yet my daughter who's 18 and in a few weeks from now, we're driving her down to California and that's the end of our relationship. So drop her off for college and <laughs> that's that. No, but, but like I was so scared and yet the day she was born was the day that I believed in love at first sight. And I know that sounds again, super cheesy, but it's like God has met me all along the way and he's so good and so faithful. And yet it's also been a journey of like realizing I've got to trust him. I've got to believe what he has to say I, I, about who I am, about what he asks of me, about stepping out in faith. I mean, I even think about as a church, the direction we're going. I mean, if you've been outside of our building anytime recently, you might notice that there's a whole wing missing. And it didn't just fall down. It's not like it just kind of whoops. Anyway, um, we like have plans and the whole idea is like we want to make room for people. And, and for years we struggled and tried to figure out how to make space and like, you know, five gatherings a Sunday and it's been crazy. And, and of course with COVID things change, but there's something about how God is moving that, that we're going, it's, it's time to take that next step. And the next step is a ginormous step because it's demoing that wing to build another auditorium so that this one's just a chapel. It's much smaller and, and to make room to, to see life change happen and make space because, you know, Marysville, the last time a wing was added in this facility was like 1986, and, and we've done nothing since then. Marysville went from like 17,000 people to what is it now, 70,000? And we're going, it's, we gotta make some room and, and look at campuses and, and we're making some dreams coming up about dinner church, people that would never darken the doors of a church, getting connected and considering faith in Christ, all these things because we're going, God, we wanna follow you. We wanna do what you have in mind. We wanna fulfill, we say it this way. We wanna do our best to fulfill the great commission in our generation. And I don't say it me and Aaron and a couple of staff members. I'm saying like all of us, you guys, there's dreams and visions and passions and ways we're gonna step out and some things might fall flat and some things will be amazing, but we're gonna try whatever we can because we wanna reach people. And yet there's different ways that people grumble. There's people who say, well, you know, um, you know, you guys do this online thing and that's great, but shouldn't people come to the building to be part of church? And I would agree that that connection is super important, but do you also realize in the world that we live in that online is a great front door? There's a bunch of people right now as we're in this room watching online. Usually there's about 140 people on a Sunday that watch online. We're wanting to build bridges to connection so people can be part of this family of God. And yet people would say, that's not right. That's not the way to do it. That's not okay. What I'm saying is there's all kinds of ways that you and I look at our faith and go, if we don't do it that way, that can't be God. There's people that would say, if you don't read the King James version of the Bible, then that's not okay. There's people that say, if you don't sing hymns on a Sunday, that's not okay. There's all kinds of presupposed ideas. A pastor that's wearing jeans and like sneakers, what is going on here? Where's the suit? Where's the big bishop's hat? Or I don't know what it is. There's people, listen to me, there's people that have all kinds of ideas of what church should be. And yet, what did Jesus say? Church is a hospital for a bunch of broken people. And you're one and I'm one and we're all one. And Father Abraham, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're saying. Why do I bring all this up? Because what scares me in a healthy way, and when I say scares me, what I mean is a reverent fear, which is biblical. What scares me more than anything is this, at 29 years of being a follower of Christ, is it possible that there are things in me that block God's ability to work? Things that I'm not sensitive to and ways that I operate in my life that, that the Holy Spirit would be whispering to me, lay that down. The Holy Spirit would be whispering to you, lay that down, deal with that issue. 
See, at the end of the day, the core issue with the religious leaders was an issue of pride. And at the end of the day, the core issue for you and me is the age old sin of pride. If it's not done this way, if it doesn't look like this, if it doesn't operate like that, that can't be God. And yet how many of us looking back have been surprised by, even when I didn't see it, he was working. That's most of our stories. If you take time, as Heather said, to to gather the stones of remembrance in your life, how God had met you and I didn't know it. Why did I show up at church back in May of 1992? Because a hot blonde invited me to church. You want the truth? I didn't come because I wanted to know Jesus. I came because I wanted to know this girl. And she invited me and I showed up because I thought, absolutely, I want to date you. And yet God had something entirely other in mind. I ended up marrying a hot brunette. Anyway, so let's <laughs> It's amazing how in our lives we can think that this is how God should work and this is what God should do and this is what I expect and this is what I'm praying for and this is what needs to happen. Otherwise, it's not God. There was a plague of problems within the religious institution. And I wanna read this quote. I, I, I finished a book called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger and he's writing basically about leadership in uncharted waters. And by the way, he wrote it before COVID, but I'm reading it going, this is like now. But one of the things he says that, that caught my, my, my heart when I was reading it, because it connects directly to this, when Jesus challenged the religious institution, it wasn't that they were concerned, I'm sorry, when Jesus challenged the Pharisees, it wasn't that they were concerned with the religious principles and he was concerned with people, but that they had the wrong principles. They valued human tradition over God's own revelation about his character and his love and what he desires. They missed it because they created a bunch of traditions that were added to the Levitical law. And one of those was at some point a discussion about, well, the Lord says we shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Let's get into the details of what work means. And they decided that it was illegal to pick wheat on the Sabbath. Now, that's a biblical principle of not working, but they took it to the nth degree when working would mean don't gather the grain and put it in bins and take it to the market and sell it on the Sabbath. That's not okay. So the disciples are walking by on the edge of a grain field and they run their hands along the grain and they're eating it as a snack and they're like, look, they're working. And Jesus, as I already said, healed on the Sabbath and they got so angry because the specifics of the tradition created around don't work on the Sabbath was no medical help for people because that's doing your job as a physician back in that day and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. So when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, no way. That should break our hearts. But more than just break our hearts, it should cause a reverence of fear in us. God, how in in my worldview am I missing it? How in my perspective do I have it wrong? Lord, would you work in me that maybe where there's pride, that you would reveal it so I can deal with it? And I'm not saying you, that includes me. The other day I was taking a drive out to Darrington for a wedding rehearsal and I was driving by the, the, the slide area and I had been there days after it happened 
Um, and man, it was mind-blowing and devastating and heartbreaking in the midst of all that had happened back then. And I was driving through it just the other day. And for whatever reason, it was in that moment that I just began to pray and go, Lord, where are there things in me that just aren't lining up with what you want? And there was about four or five things specifically that the Lord just impressed upon my heart. Here's some things that I need you to lay down. Here's some things I'm asking of you. And it was my pleasure in that moment to go, God, would you forgive me for that? And I began to list off those things, Lord. And it's not the huge grievous whatever things, but it's stuff that I know. You know what? That's not Christ-like. That's not living the way you want me to live. That's not being who you want me to be. And I just began to repent of it. But I couldn't help but think how poignant it was in that moment because it also brought me to, as I'm driving through that little stretch of highway, things, is it 20 or? Anyway, um, it's not 20. But as I was driving through that area, I honestly began to think of it this way. Like if we don't deal with those issues in our lives, it, it, and I know this sounds a little cheesy to say it this way, but it, it almost becomes like that mudslide that just overwhelms your life. It's the little things in our lives that sometimes the Holy Spirit is like, hey, do you see that? Hey, do you wanna work with that? Because oftentimes it's those little things that become a huge issue down the road. And for all of us, what does it look like to navigate that pride is so easy just to let it exist in our lives, let it be there, and we don't really deal with what's going on? And, and I said it this way, and I, I wanna explain, but when we lay down our pride, it frees up our hands to pick up his grace. Now, why do I say it that way? What, do you, what, is that, what does that mean? When you and I are willing to lay down our pride, there's something about the grace of God that begins to work in us that, that shapes us to be more like Christ. Anybody ever been around a know-it-all? Anybody wanna admit you're a know-it-all? Okay, no, don't raise your hand. Don't point to your neighbor either right now. If you've ever been around a know-it-all, it, 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 you just feel stifled. Like you begin talking about something like, oh yeah, and by the way, this and this, and I read about this and that, and so just so you know, it's a little more like that. You're like, thank you. Thank you. There's something about individuals like that that make you want to kind of move away, to say it kindly. But there's something about when somebody is walking in God's grace, when you realize and you can sense in them they're dealing with any pride in them, that in conversation, they're a joy to be around, that we're on this journey together looking at what it likes to become, looking at what it likes to become more like Christ without the idea that, well, if you do this, well, if you do that. And one of my fears sometimes is as a pastor, I stand up here and it sounds like, hey, Nick knows it all and here's what you need to do and you better do and you better start doing. And yet, to be honest with you, I stand up here and I hope there's always a sense of like humility, like I'm on this journey. And God is always working in me just like I hope he's always working in you because that's the heart that he wants. And there are areas where I miss it. And I have people in my life that are willing to say, hey, by the way, when that happened the other day, I think you need to go back and apologize because I'm not sure you came across the right way. I've mentioned before that, that, man, I apologize to my own kids. And I've heard dads say before, you don't apologize to your kid, you're the dad. That's the worst, worst thing to think and believe. But there are times where I realize I've been a little short with my kids or I'm feeling a certain way and so I'm around them hanging out and they, they know I'm a little short and I gotta come back and go, guys, I'm sorry. I just was, was short and I shouldn't be that. I, I yelled at you and I really shouldn't have. But it's that whole thing of like, what does it look like for you to specifically lay down Pride. And my hope would be in a few moments, I'm gonna ask you to pray a simple prayer. And then as, as the band's gonna come up, what we're gonna do is, is just allow them to play and, and we'll, we'll sing a worship song together. 
but I want you right where you're at just to just, just Lord, would you just show me the areas of pride in my own life? Would you just show me those things that maybe I'm holding on to that you don't want? Would you just reveal to me where maybe in my belief system there's things that aren't right? Because truth is we're inundated by all kinds of principles that don't come from Christ but are principles of this world that it's so easy to embrace. And then pretty soon our gathering, our church family looks just like this world and and there's something dangerous about that. And we do need to be aware that that's a real possibility. It's, it's, you know, we're, sure, we're so sure that it's our wife we're walking towards. We're so sure that we're supposed to meet at that restaurant. We're so sure that you know, God should work this way or that way. My friend Xavier Cortez uh, posted this the other day on social media. He said, you learn nothing from life if you think you're right all the time. The religious elite knew it all and they missed the most important man in history. The religious elite knew it all and they missed the most important man in history. So how do we surrender our pride? It's a reminder of Mark 8 and I know we've been all over in Mark but I'm just gonna read this. Then Jesus called us to him and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for an individual to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus was reminding his disciples and is reminding you and I today. What we're called to do is lay down our own perspectives, our own view to take up the truth of what he had to teach and and the principles that he brought to us about how we ought to live in this world. And it does take a humility and not everybody around us is gonna get it. And yet we're called to lay down the pride that you and I can walk out his grace. As the band in a moment here is gonna lead us, I would just ask you if you're willing to confront pride in your own life, would you just repeat a simple prayer after me? Is that okay? Let's just bow our heads. Just say, Jesus, wherever there's pride, Come on, repeat after me. Even online, if you're online, that's great. In this room, just say this. Jesus, wherever there's pride in my life, wherever there's areas where I have blind spots, where I'm missing what you want, I surrender. Would you show me specifically what those things are that I can lay down my agenda and pick up your grace, that I can lay down my way and pick up what you desire, that I can be all you want, that your light, your hope, and your life can shine through me. Help me, God, in Jesus' name, amen. The band is gonna lead us for a few moments here, and I just encourage you to take some time right where you're at, and here's what I would ask you to do. Take the prayer we just prayed together take it a step further and ask God, Lord, what are those things in particular? Because like I said, I was just taking a drive, spending a little bit of time in prayer, and literally God just brought to me a few things in particular 
that I needed to deal with, that I need to repent of. And so right where you're at as the band is playing and this song is playing, would you just, just invite God to show you specifically what those things might be that you can deal with them because there's something powerful about laying down our pride and picking up his grace, amen? Go ahead and do that right where you're at. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.